J.T. Crowley is Talking Books. On this show, you'll hear from emerging talent and seasoned veterans from around the world. They'll give you their take on the writing process and how to create the secret sauce of page-turning deliciousness. Let's get into that magical mixture of the art and science of creativity. Here's J.T. Crowley, author of The Smart Kids and your podcast host. Hello. I'm J.T. Crowley, and I'm delighted to have as my guest today R.J. Hansen from nearby Dallas, Texas in the United States. For those of you that love epic fantasy, mythology, murder mysteries, psychological thrillers, well, pin your ears back, because this is what R.J. Hansen is all about. He covers all these genres with tension, excitement, and intrigue. For those of you that love J.R.R. Tolkien, Stephen King, Stephen Fabian, Terry Brooks, R.A. Salvatore, and possibly Terry Pratchett, this author, R.J. Hansen, I would strongly suggest you check him out. R.J. has long enjoyed reading, and his interest in high fantasy myths stems right back to when he was five, when his mother gave him the Rankin and Bass production of The Hobbit. Those 24 pages opened up RJ's interest in this genre, to which he still loves to read today. Despite being an avid reader, it wasn't until RJ was 45 that he finally put pen to paper. RJ has written numerous books under four varying series that all come in under the overriding theme of Bloodlines Reforged Saga. RJ has done a variety of things throughout his life. He's been a cowboy. He studied medieval combat and military tactics. And no doubt these studies stood him in good faith to create most, if not all, of the battle scenes in his books, everyone. RJ is married to Michelle. He has two grown-up children and presently runs uh, one of the family's small cattle ranches just outside of Dallas. One of his favourite pastimes is pen and paper, PRG game, Rollmaster, which tends to involve most of his family and friends. On the show today, we're going to talk about his trilogy book, Heirs of Vanity, and his first book in a separate series, Fires That Forge. Now, Fires That Forge is more a murder mystery, psychological thriller book belonging to the series Lords of Order and Chaos, Bloodlines Reforged Saga. Heirs of Vanity, on the other hand, firmly lies in the genre of epic high fantasy. The trilogy book is a compendium of the three books that make up the series Heirs of Vanity. You firstly have Roland's Path in the trilogy book, labelled Part 1, Roland's Bow, the second book, labelled Part 2, and finally Roland's Triumph, the third book, under Part 3. So, let's invite RJ onto the show as my special guest today, so that he can talk about his amazing books, which I was totally enthralled and taken in by. RJ, come and join me. Thank you, John. It's good to be here. It's great to have you on the show. I thoroughly enjoyed the books. They absolutely blew me away. And because I was a great J.R. Tolkien uh, reader, I loved the Hobbit stories. I loved the Lord of the Rings. And when I look at your book, it reminded me so much particularly the uh, Heirs of Vanity book, so much of, you know, that book, you know, that genre. And, of course, I love crime uh, mysteries as well. So the murder mysteries of the um, Fires Forge was just wonderful. I, I didn't put that down. Um, but there you go. 
Anyway, let's move on, everybody, and let's get to the nitty-gritty of what's in these books. RJ, all of your books and series, as far as I can see, come under the overriding umbrella, Bloodlines Reforged Saga, and that these epic fantasy books of yours are about sword and sorcery, adventures, tales of warriors' courage, scorned sorcerers, grieving vampires, corrupt churches, perversion of faith, sprinkled with a with plenty of magic, monsters, sword fights, political intrigue, mythology, medieval combat and tactics. And some series, I understand, fall under murder mysteries, thrillers, like the, the second book we're going to do today. So my question to you, RJ, is why did you choose to write about these genres? And did it stem from the one book that when you were five, which your mother gave you to read, has all this stemmed from that one book and that you have so loved this genres that you've written about him? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I grew up in a small town in North Texas on a ranch. Um, I, I mean, I loved the life, but as far as worldly, it was not. Um, and that uh, read-along book, you know, it was one of the old... Uh, for the younger viewers, they may not have a clue what I'm talking about. But it was one of the old, you know, you get an album with the children's book and you put yeah. it on a record player and and read along with it. And it uh, it was this whole incredible world. Sorry, that's Pinker. It's my Great Dane. The Great Danes are wonderful, everybody. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it opened up this this whole incredible uh, world of uh, rich imagination that uh, that enthralled me early on and uh, it really uh, really sparked my uh, interest in reading um you know it uh, it made me realize that inside in between the front and back cover of a book could be a whole new world a whole different world and it was uh, it was really amazing so how long did it take you from concept to publishing as a vanity box? Oh, um, I guess that would depend on when you would want to set the time frame for the concept. Um, it's the heirs of vanity books and the overall, the overall saga uh, began its, it had its genesis with Roland which was a pen and paper character. Uh, for those of you that uh, don't know what Rollmaster is, think Dungeons and Dragons. You know, it's, uh -huh. uh, yeah. Uh, and it was a character that I, I created in 1996 uh, to play with some friends of mine. And uh, after a few gaming sessions, I started, like a lot of uh, players do, I started taking notes of, the cool things that happened to him, the cool things that he did, you know, the things that I found interesting uh, just so that I wouldn't forget about them and, to, you know, and to uh, enrich the character. And uh, the more of those notes I took, uh, the more a story grew from those notes. Um, I guess maybe in 2003, I decided I wanted to write a book about it. Uh, and I did. And then I put that book on the shelf and didn't do anything with it until about 2017. 
And uh, in 2017, uh, my daughter Katie asked me if I was ever going to do anything with it. And uh, well, the short version is I decided to do something with it. So I gave it an edit and uh, started filling it out some more. And uh, it, you know, that's uh, we, I got serious about it in 2017 and then we published uh, in March of 2019. So it's been on the board for a long while. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Archie, let's get to the nitty gritty of this podcast and open up the book, Airs of Vanity Trilogy. Let's have a look at part one, Roland's Path, book one. This story is all about the escape of two servants of evil under Roland's watch. He's driven by shame and vanity to track them down with the help of his lifelong friend, Eldrin. The road they ventured down is fraught with all possible kinds of dangers and issues. And of course, they're dealing with a sorcerer of unknown quantity and a woman of beguiling interest who, though beautiful and mesmerizing, has skills of her own to be very, very aware of everyone. Where did this storyline come from? Where in your deep brain, your inner recesses of your deep brain, did this plot storyline come from? Tell us. Um, I'm not really sure. Uh, you know, it's one of those things. I had to I had to have an origin story for him. Um, and uh, based on, you know, when I started playing him, uh, they all have kind of a sometimes have kind of a cardboard cutout origin story. So that needed to be fleshed out. And I needed a reason for Roland to, to leave home to uh, depart from his father and defy his father. And um, a reason for him to, uh, to justify himself, um, you know, to, uh, to take that first step out on the road. And I, I realized the the best way given his personality would be a failure on his part. Um, something that he felt he had to make amends for something that he felt he had to make right, uh, which is where uh, the idea of the escape and then the pursuit came from. Um, and then with Eldrin, uh, you know, Roland and Eldrin have a, uh, a very, very tight relationship they were raised as brothers essentially um and uh i i wanted the beginning of the book to establish that to show that relationship between the two of them i think you do that very well um rj just to give us a tantalizing taste to this um tense epic fantasy of yours and believe me everybody they are tense when you read the the storylines you go into the chapters they are um exciting they're tense the tension is there you know the battles the struggles they're all there in glorious technical if you want to put that here um don't particularly like using metaphors but i just did because it's true but i want to go to chapters three and four in roland's path the first part of the trilogy book and because these chapters are headed up the wildlands and ruins of Null Cambador. Now, what I liked about these two chapters is the relationship, and you've already said this, you know, the bonds of the characters between Roland and Eldrin. And I think we have to include Ashcliff here. Absolutely. Um, that, you know, how you, the relationship they have with each other and how their individual characteristics blend so well together. 
Ashcliffe with his knowledge of herbs and edible plants, particularly the healing powers they have. Eldred with his heraldic skills and weaponry, and Roland, the main protagonist, with his flame blade dagger. These scenes, I found, as I said, they were exciting, they're tense, they're full of venture. RJ, can you give the listeners an overriding view of what's in these two chapters? For I think they were just mesmerizing. Tell the listeners. Well, um, you know, in uh, in the one chapter where the three boys is, you know, they are, they're, they're boys, um, you know, uh, 14 to 16 years old. And they're traveling through the wildlands, the untamed lands, uh, you know, ogres and giants and monsters and that sort of thing. And uh, each of the three of them is taken on, a, you know, the role of a man. And uh, it's about them, you know, discovering what those roles really mean, what those roles really require. And it's about them discovering the fact that uh, they do, they need each other um, and uh, they have to come to rely on each other. Uh, It puts me in mind the most when I was writing that chapter, what I thought of the most um, was uh, Stephen King's story, Stand By Me. You know, where the bulk of the story is about this group of boys who are all, you know, childhood friends and they go on this trek to go see a corpse by the train, you know, by the railroad tracks and all that. Um, But the story is really about them traveling together out in the woods and, you know, the things that they get into. And that's what it that's what it made me think the most of. Um, Only there's giants and ogres and (laughs) that sort of thing. Um, So. uh, uh, yeah, that's that's really what it's about is them beginning to learn what the lives they've chosen are are going to require from them. Do you know and what it reminded me of? It reminded me of in you know the Hobbit, uh, and again in you know, um, the Lord of the Rings books, you know, of the you know Frodo and all his friends, you know, the, the main characters there going off on this dangerous venture. Right. That's what yeah. I saw. So if you're a Tolkien yeah. fan, you've got to read this book, everybody. So the Ruins of like Noel Cavendor. I'm sorry? The Ruins of Noel Cavendor, that chapter. It's uh, I, The thing I like the most about that chapter is, you know, up until that point, Roland has decided he's going to capture or kill these two. And he's he's getting, you know, they know that they're close now. They know it's about to come to a head. And Roland's afraid. And it's a new, a relatively new sensation for him to be afraid. Um, And it's not a fear of dying. It's not a fear of, you know, being injured or any other, you know, terrible physical thing. Um, He's afraid of failing. He's uh, terrified of failure. And it's uh, his first chance to really have to face that fear and uh, and work his way through it. Do you think and he's afraid uh, of his father? Uh, he's not afraid of his father. He's afraid of disappointing his father. Hmm. He's um, terrified of disappointing his father. 
uh, he definitely has daddy issues, I guess, would be the modern vernacular for that. He, um, yeah, he's, his whole life, his whole mindset is to, uh, to accomplish enough, to do enough, to make his father proud of him. Um, let's move on, RJ, to part two, uh, book two, Roland's Bow. Here we have the sorcerer of the marshes cursed by the past. Um, can Roland trust the sorcerer's daughter? We have Roland and Eldrin uh, sailing the seas of Stratbus with the Slandics. Um, they're sailing off into distant lands. Roland's nerves are tested to the full here. Will he have both, you know, has he got the physical or the emotional strength to deal with the world's evils and his own integrity? Embellish, embroider, tell us what this one is about. This, the you know, the story to this book. Well, this book is uh, a continuation of their journey. Um, like uh, like a lot of life's journeys, as you think that you're going from A to B, uh, you realize that B was not your destination at all. You know, now you're going on to C and so on. Um, so this book is really about them discovering more of the world around them and uh, discovering that they've... Uh, I hate to use the phrase because it's used so often, but it's about them discovering what they've stumbled into <laughs> and uh, and how much uh, a larger plot that uh, they've uncovered. Um, but uh, my favorite thing about book two is it's got pirates <laughs> and everything is cooler with pirates. I know. And that's why you chose chapter 17 to talk about. So let's go to chapter 17. I love this as well. And because this is headed up Souls of Mariners. Um, now, this really did catch both of our imaginations because um, I love the chapter. You've got the battle with the pirate ship, you know, the tactics the um, the Slandic captain and the crew used to upset the, the pirates, particularly with the planks. You tell us here because I just, I found this captivating. I thought, wow, <laughs> this is clever. I have... Uh... I have always had a fascination with uh, sailing, with you know seagoing vessels of uh, of the old style, the uh, you know old three master ships and schooners and and that sort of thing. Which is odd because I personally am terrified of the ocean, but uh, I've always had this fascination with sailing. Uh, and this chapter caused me. I had to do a lot of research for this chapter because I wanted to get um, the terminology correct. And I wanted to make sure the um, the maneuvers of the uh, of the ships uh, were um, relatively accurate, were tactically feasible. Um, so it, it it required a great deal of research, but I loved doing the research because I love reading about that stuff. Um, and I was trying to come up with a way, uh, come up with a tactic that you know, hasn't been beaten to death. You know, we've all seen the pirate movies and, uh, you know, those those things where it's, okay, we're going to turn our cannons this way and then we're, Errol Flynn is going to swing on a rope from one mast on one ship to a mast on the other. 
And I didn't want to have any of that. I wanted it to uh, be something, something new, something original. Uh, and I was, I was very happy with the way that came out. You need to expand the planks, everybody. I'm saying no more. <laughs> <laughs> Shh. Read the book. RJ, the third part of the book is just riveting. Roland's triumph. And here we've got, you know, an unseen evil, you know, unseen evil prevails. Um, Davis's forces retreat, but their presence lingers in Lorek. Uh, Roland faces several choices, one to his lord, the other to his betrothed. Does Roland ignore his father's wise counsel or what of Claire's own dilemmas? And will her love for him see him through? And I think, you know, so this is an interesting storyline uh, you've got here in this Roland's Time book, you know, the third book of the series, the third part of this book. Where on earth did you conjure this storyline up from? Well, um, the great thing about, to me, the great thing about writing a good story is that the story writes itself. Um, you know, uh, a lot of people are confused uh, in thinking that an author sets down and writes the story that he wants to write and that it ends the way he wants it to end. Um, the truth is, what the author does, in my opinion, what I do, I'll just put it that way, what I do is I have these characters and then I follow along and I take notes while they're doing whatever it is they do. Um, you know, each character has their own thoughts, their own ambitions, um, their own means of uh, accomplishing those uh, ambitions. So what I do is I just follow the characters to see where they're going and then I write down what they're doing, <laughs> you know, or what they've done. Um, so as to, um, as to a, the, the credit for the storyline, that really goes to the characters of the book because it's a result of the decisions they made and uh, uh, their, their choices. Do your characters live with you when you're writing the book? Do they say to you, know, come on, get the next bit done? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I've got a lot of voices in my head. <laughs> a lot of them. <laughs> You're not an author that uh, sits down to start with and plots it out in the nth degree and start to finish and sticks to that structure. You're like me. It just, wherever it flows. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go to chapter 41. Uh, I think this is brilliant, everyone. The, and it's called The Keep. The Keep is a brilliant chapter for me in the third and final part of this trilogy. Roland is recovering from some serious wounds. He thinks he's fit for the next battle. But Prince Ralston, a clever military strategist, thinks differently. We've got dark elves, we've got paladins, we've got noblemen of the realm, and, of course, the demise of Davra's army with the taking of the Keep. RJ, briefly tell us what is going on behind the scenes here. Again, we've got tension, we've got excitement, we've got adventure, we've got thrills coursing through this chapter. Tell us about it and tell everybody why you call it The Keep. Hmm. Well, The Keep, 
you know, the obvious uh, meaning for that is, you know, this chapter is about um, Roland and friends, you know, along with Prince Ralston and his army, um, finally cornering the sorcerer, driving him back to his keep, to his castle, and assaulting it. Uh, that's, you know, the, uh, the main crux of the action in the, uh, in the chapter. Um, but the keep is also, you know, medievally or metaphorically speaking, um, it's your central stronghold. It's your last refuge, um, whether that be a physical building of, of stone around you um, or whether it be your faith in something your faith in yourself or in a higher power. And this chapter um, causes a lot of the characters involved uh, to fall back to that, that keep of their own, uh, to rely on that faith of their own and, uh, and to rely on their own endurance. What and, struck uh, me about this chapter was Prince um, Ralston, he sees um, further down the line, you know, he, he knows that he's got to plan this. And yes, Roland wants to, you know, oh, I can carry on. He knows he can't carry on. And he right. sees differently. And that's what a general has to do. They have to see above the parapet, don't they? Absolutely. Absolutely. And... Um... It's it's a uh, that that interaction is a point where uh, Roland is faced one of the many times he's faced with wisdom that he has to admit is is wisdom he has to admit that it's that it's the right thing to do but he does not like it <laughs> he does not like making you know such an admission. Um, and in this chapter, one of one of my favorite things about this chapter actually doesn't have anything to do with the action that's going on, you know, at the keep. But um, it's a small little section of the chapter, which is a a conversation between uh, the gods of Stratus. Um, you know, conversations between Father Time and uh, Bolvi, who's you know their god of war. And the thing I like about that conversation is that it sort of, it, you know, it pulls the curtain back a little bit and um, it, you know, it reveals that men attribute so much that goes on in the world to their deities when in fact it's men finding scapegoats for their own desires. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to follow Bolvi. He's the God of war and I'm going to go make war. Uh, no, you're just kind of a violent butthead. <laughs> you know, Bolvi <laughs> doesn't want you attacking people and, and, you know, sacking villages and so on. And, uh, I like that. Uh, I like that it points that out. You know, there are, um, um, a number of scholars and, uh, and even many more laymen uh, that talk about the dichotomy of the Crusades. You know, we're we're going to go to a foreign land and attack these people for God. I'm pretty sure that's not in the Bible anywhere. You know, I'm pretty sure God didn't say, I, I want you to 
you know, go to the Middle East and attack these people. Mm -hmm. um, no, it was, you know, it was the greed of those in power at the time, you know, who wanted what somebody else had. And uh, they attributed uh, or scapegoated God to disguise their own greed. And, uh, you know, there's a little bit of that going on, going on here as well. And that's what I love about that conversation is it shows that, uh, yeah, the deities aren't pushing people around on a chessboard. By and large, they're observing, hmm. you know, and maybe helping out here and there. And that's why you asked me to let's let's talk about the chapter. Yeah. Um, yeah. The trilogy RJ has excited me. It's beautifully written with all the tensions, the thrills, the benches, the twists, the sorcery, the intrigue, the monsters, the magical mythology. I just say to you, well done. It's absolutely amazing, everybody. Thank you. RJ, we need to move on now to Fires That Forge. Uh, the first book in another series of yours, Lords of Order and Chaos, again under the umbrella of Bloodlines Reforged Saga. This book um, is not epic fantasy, everybody, or high uh, fantasy. It's a murder mystery, psychological thriller, packed with creative visionary writing, a story of murder, betrayal, lies and magic. Can one inquisitor's quest for the truth in a city bound for chaos be saved? We have a young physician turned King's Inquisitor facing an uphill struggle to save his friend, the hospital and himself from the hangman's noose. Where, when and how did you create this storyline? Um, this actually sort of, I've been thinking about a murder mystery set in a fantasy world for a long time. Uh, Sean Connery was in a movie years ago called The Brotherhood of the Rose. And it's uh, Sean Connery and um, I can't remember the other actors that were in it. But he's a monk in the Middle Ages um, who travels to a monastery to investigate these mysterious deaths. And it's, it's a murder mystery set in a monastery in this in the middle ages and i loved loved that story and i loved that idea and i always wanted to do something like that um and this uh fires that forge gave me the opportunity to to write a murder mystery set in a fantasy setting um where you where the investigators have to take into account things like magic and um, monsters and vampires and that sort of thing. But they take those things into account very realistically, you know, mm -hmm. the same way that, uh, you know, investigators today take into account fingerprints and DNA and, you know, uh, crime scene video and, and that sort of thing. Um, it's part of the job for them. And I wanted that to, to come across as, as real you know, as gritty. It's not, um, you know, it's not fantasy and it's not fun for them. It's, you know, a real murder and uh, it's real people. You know, when I looked at the book, um, I was drawn, RJ, to two chapters that stood out for me. Chapter six, Witness, Priests and Lies. And chapter 17, Who Betrays Who? That's very interesting, everybody. For me, in Chapter 6, what I liked most was the conversation by Dunwell, the Inquisitor, and Mylon, uh, one of the workers on the docks in a warehouse 14, that 
the wooden shack in that he shared with um, his other working colleagues compared to some of the grand stone houses of Morass. Uh, of course, this Dunn was is looking for witnesses, you know, that could save Silas Moros. We've got Lord High Inquisitor Gillorn. We've got Dunwell's boss. We've got the High Cleric Dylance. Dunwell um, interviewing the young Doctor Moros. You know, we're talking, of, you know, of the murder of Stuart Killian and Lady Helena and lots of other um, issues. And again, we've got vampires. We've got excitement. We've got vision here. I love this chapter. Do you like it? I do. I do. Um, writing the uh, interview of the witness was uh, was fun for me um, because, well, I've uh, been I've been a cop since 1996, uh, so I've got about 26 years on, and I've been a uh, detective for the majority of that time. So I've had a lot of conversations like this. I've interviewed a lot of witnesses and a lot of suspects. And it allowed me, well, this whole book allowed me to use um, that knowledge, you know, what I've uh, learned over the years, uh, that experience and training, um, to implement that into the story and to give it uh, more of a real feel. Um, for example, there's a, a, a trick that Dunwell uses when... Um, He's interviewing the witness, Mylan. And uh, I've used that trick a number of times. And it works. And it works really well, uh, which is why I incorporated it. And uh, I love the fact that it gives that um, a sense of realism. And the other chapter that uh, caught my imagination, as I said, was chapter 17, Who Betrays Who? And, it, it, you know, who is betraying who here? And when you look at it, you're thinking, yeah, who is? Um, RJ, there's so much, you know, circumstantial evidence, you know, swirling around this chapter. You talk about Silas Moros discovering that fallen champions you know, often travel to on an ethereal plane adjacent to the plane, you know, of existence. So much of this chapter evolves around Silas and Dunwell, you know, assassins, you know, Shazam. You really are twisting the knife here, aren't you, to keep the readers guessing as to what is going on here. You know, that's why as who is betraying who, aptly named. Tell the us thing about I like, uh, the thing I like the most about this chapter, well, it is uh, very fast-paced in that... Um, it is. You know, motives are revealed, uh, motives change. Um, some of the characters are forced into a corner where they uh, they have to agree to circumstances or at the very least have to accept some circumstances that they're not crazy about. Uh, but the thing I like the most about this chapter is uh, it's really when Silas begins coming into his own. Um, when he really begins taking initiative and uh, taking the wheel in his own life. And uh, and I like that. I like that. I, I loved it. And I thought the title was aptly named. I mean, just very briefly, RJ, out of that book, what's your favorite chapter? Oh. I picked two. <sighs> Man, a, a favorite is really, really difficult. Um, 
really, I, I would have to say, uh, I want to say it's chapter, I think it's chapter four, where Doonwell and Silas are just having a conversation. Um, there's not a lot going on, you know, there's not a lot of action, um, but, you know, it's just the two of them talking and visiting. And uh, I like that chapter the most because, well, you know, like we talked about earlier, both of these characters live in my head. And this was a chance for me to, you know, kind of sit on the couch across the room and just hang out with both of them, you know, and, and the two of them, you know, visit and get to catch up. And uh, that's what I that's what I really liked about it. Um, I said not a lot of intrigue in that chapter, not a lot of action. But, uh, yeah, just two friends hanging out. You sure know how to twist the knife, don't you, in your stories? So what's next? What's next for you, RJ, both in terms, you know, of your writing, your life? I mean, are there any more books in the pipeline? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, we just released uh, Stalking Shadows, which is book four in the Lords of Order and Chaos series. And um, there's, oh, yeah, there are so many more. Um, because the Bloodlines Reforged saga is going to consist of at least four different series that all intertwine and overlap. Um, you know, Air, the Heirs of Vanity and the Lords of Order and Chaos are all in the same world. They're in the same uh, in the same universe, and there is some overlap. Uh, Dunwell served on the battlefront with Roland's father, Velric. You know, and that's mentioned, uh, touched on in Fires at Forge. Um, Brutus, who, you know, is uh, in Roland's triumph, uh, fair, fairly prominently, Sir Brutus, is a good friend of Dunwell's. And, you know, at the end of Fires, or in, toward the beginning of Fires at Forge, uh, Dunwell and Brutus have a beer together, you know, and visit before Brutus is going off to Lawrick, where he, you know, later joins with Roland in the game. Uh, and they will, this, this story is, the saga is going to span generations. So there's more coming um, down the line. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, not to throw out too many spoilers, but, you know, eventually we're going to get to um, the actions, adventures, and lives of Roland's grandchildren. So Who do you see, RJ, as your market for your book, your books? But more importantly, who would you like to see reading your books? Young people, mature folk, you know, or people of all ages or all genres? I, I think people of all ages uh, would enjoy it. I tried to write the books um, so that they're they're clean, uh, I guess, so to speak. Uh, there's, you know, there's no bad language. There's no, uh, there aren't any sex scenes. Uh, it's some graphic violence, no doubt about that. Very graphic violence, but oh, yeah. um, uh, you know, I tried to write it so that uh, an eight or a nine-year-old could pick it up and read it and enjoy the sword fighting and the adventures, um, or a seventy-year-old could pick it up and read it and enjoy the sword fighting and the adventures and the uh, the political intrigue behind uh, the movers and shakers of, of Stratus. Absolutely. It's yeah, a bit man. like, you know, J.R. Tolkien. Yes, you know, a 12-year-old can read the book and so can an 80-year-old read the book. That's what he's right. done brilliantly. And I think that's what you've done right. as well. Brilliantly done it. Phenomenal. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Where can people get your books from? Um, Amazon. 
primarily. Um, yeah, you can find them on Amazon under uh, the Bloodlines Reforged Saga or under my name, RJ Hansen. Um, you can uh, find them on our website, which is www.bloodlinesreforged.com. Uh, you can also find them on Audible. Um, almost all of them are on Audible. We've begun production of the la latest book, Stalking Shadows. Uh, we began production on the audiobook for that last week. So uh, that's in the pipeline and will be coming out in probably a couple of months, would be my guess. Excellent. RJ Hansen, thank you for your guest today. My pleasure. Thank you. Oh, you're very, very, very welcome. Just go and read the books, everybody. They are stunning. They're amazing. They're absolutely... Ooh. Yeah. As I end every week uh, with my podcast, everyone, I'm JT Crowley. Thanks for listening, watching, wherever you're in the world. So until next time, stay safe.